0: What's up, you cool cats? Here we are again with another episode of the Piano Rhapsody podcast. This is a podcast where you follow the journey of an amateur piano player. As I work my way up from an intermediate level to hopefully advancing to playing things like Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue one day, every week we take a look at one of the pieces I encounter along the way, and we learn a little bit about history and music. We are currently on a series where we are making our way through musical history. We started in the year 1700, and now we are well into the 1900s. Today, we're going to focus on the Roaring Twenties and a rug with jazz music. And I'm going to try to limit the retro slang. So we've been in Europe for hundreds and hundreds of years now, and we are crossing the pond finally to the United States. Specifically, New Orleans, Louisiana the birthplace of jazz music. Jazz is a unique style that reflected a diverse population at the time. It blended both African American and European American roots, which created a musical explosion that had international appeal. Jazz music is built on the idea of the blues scale, which originated from African American communities of the Deep South. Pentatonic scales are popular in African music, and later evolved into blues scales that can be found in spirituals. One of the early jazz band leaders, a man named W.C. Handy, had an interest in folk blues of the Deep South. Handy and his band were formally trained African American musicians who were not familiar with the blues. But when he went out and observed the field workers, he noticed a tendency in their singing to bear down on the 3rd and 7th tones of the scale, slurring between major and minor. And it wasn't in one specific place. He heard it from the Delta all the way to the levee up St. Louis. It was always the same. And instead of strumming guitars, the players would slap them, doubling the instrument as both a guitar and a drum. Handy had never heard music like this in his formal training, and he was determined to adapt the style of the field hands. So he began introducing flat thirds and sevenths into a song he was writing, even though its prevailing key was major. This piece ended up turning into a 1912 publication called Memphis Blues, which introduced the 12-bar blues to the world. This would become one of the first jazz standards and influence a style of music that is still popular to this day. 100 years later. Jazz wasn't always so well-loved, however. Actually, it gained popularity in the States during Prohibition. So as Americans were enjoying live jazz music while sipping bootleg gin, French 75s, and Old Fashions across the cities in secret speakeasies and other illicit venues, jazz was gaining a reputation of immoral music. Princeton professor Henry Van Dyke wrote at the time, It is not music at all. It's merely an irritation of the nerves of hearing. The older generations believed jazz was going to steal away societal virtue. I guess some things never change. Then the kids from that era would be the same ones to fear Elvis and his swinging hips. It's the great musical cycle of life. You love the music you grew up on, and new music will never hold a candle to it. But let's talk a bit about the birthplace of the jazz age, New Orleans. Early jazz performers played in the bars and brothels of the red light district known as Storyville. This scene attracted tourists from all over the country who spread jazz throughout the nation, including a young man named Louis Armstrong who started out his career in Storyville and ended up finding great success up north in Chicago. During the beginning of World War I, the Secretary of War did not want his troops stationed in New Orleans to be distracted by the debauchery of this district. So prostitution was deemed illegal in 1917, and Storyville was shut down. In response to this government shutdown, New Orleans Mayor Martin Berman responded. You can make it illegal, but you can't make it unpopular. Wise man, that one. The district continued as a shell of its former self throughout the 1920s, still existing as an entertainment center. But it suffered greatly during the Great Depression in the 30s. Almost all of the original Storyville buildings were demolished during this time. And today, only three are still standing. But let's bring this back to the piano just for a minute. So since this is a piano podcast, and a piano podcast called Piano Rhapsody at that, we couldn't possibly let an episode featuring the birth of jazz music go by without bringing up the namesake of this podcast. In 1924, an American band leader named Paul Whiteman commissioned George Gershwin to write a piece for his orchestra. This piece was an epic orchestral journey, featuring a solo pianist in a style that synthesized classical music with heavy jazz influences. The piece was, of course, titled Rhapsody in Blue. This piece and performance was a key soldier in the battle against the negative connotations associated with jazz music, by legitimizing jazz as a music style for high society. A New York Times critic had this to say after the premiere. This composition shows extraordinary talent, as it shows a young composer with aims that go far beyond those of his ilk. He has expressed himself in a significant and, on the whole, highly original form. And if that wasn't high enough praise for you, the magazine The Nation went even further and called it an inauguration of a new era in America's musical history. And with that, the Jazz Age was born. Jazz is an extremely complex subject, with a rich history and its own personal evolution over the century. And it would be impossible to cover this during a span of a single podcast episode. And for the first time in this series on musical history, this style of music is still very much alive. There are plenty of stones left unturned regarding the style of music, and with luck, we'll even talk about some of them in the future. But hopefully for now, this serves as a nice brief intro to the birth of jazz. So let's dive into the music and discuss a bit about what makes jazz, well, jazz. If you happen to catch the special holiday episode I did last year before the podcast officially launched... We touched a little bit on jazz music on a superficial level. Today, let's review that and take it one step further. So I am going to crudely break down jazz into four musical elements that help define it. Blues scales and chords, syncopation, swing, and improvisation. Of these four, even though it may be arguably the most defining feature of jazz, we're going to bypass improvisation today. Improvisation is king in live jazz performance and integral to the style, but it does not generally apply to solo jazz piano pieces that are more intertwined with classical elements. Classical music and jazz have deeply conflicting worldviews, in that a classical performance aims to perform a piece as it is written, while jazz music is alive and breathing, and is performed as an organic process, only using the written music as a general outline instead of a strict to-the-T rulebook. Because of this, jazz music puts a greater emphasis on the performer than classical music does. So for our purposes on this podcast, we are not going to explore jazz improvisation, at least not today. But what we are going to do today is look at the third movement of a piece called Jazz Suite Number 2 by a composer named Glenda Austin, which in itself is a novelty. Our first female composer. As you may have guessed, music was another one of those historical institutions where men held a majority of power for centuries. But now that we're in the modern era, I thought it would be refreshing to hear a piece created by a female hand This piece is a great illustration of the three jazz concepts I mentioned previously. So let's break them down one at a time. First of all, jazz music is built upon the tonal structure of the blues scale. We got to hear the differences between major, minor, and blues scales in the holiday episode, but let's actually talk about how we build a blues scale today. So, and I feel like a broken record at this point... But let's start with the C major scale, our big lego building block. This is the only major scale to utilize all of the white keys. So that gives us C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. right. the next step is to alter this to the C natural minor scale. Now we've done this before too, but let's review it again. In order to reach a natural minor scale, we lower the 3rd, 6th, and 7th tones of the major scale. So that would change E to E-flat, A to A-flat, and B to B-flat. So a C natural minor scale would be C, D, E-flat, F, G, A-flat, B-flat, C. Okay, now we're at the natural minor scale. So to get to the blues scale, we have to break some rules. First of all, unlike all of the modal scales that we have discussed so far, the blues scale only has seven tones instead of eight. So in order to pare down the scale a bit, First, we have to delete the 2nd and 6th tones of the natural minor scale. So we're saying goodbye to D and A flat. But that only leaves us with 6 tones, so we need to pick one up from somewhere. Remember back in our history discussion of jazz, when W.C. Handy listened to the field hands sing? He mentioned this tendency that they slurred the tones from minor to major. So in order to emulate this slurred effect, the blue scale adds a note in between the 4th and 5th tones of the natural minor scale. So instead of jumping from F to G here, we throw in the F sharp that's in between the two tones. And that is how we complete the C blue scale. So the C blue scale is C, E flat, F, F sharp, G, B-flat, C. And there you have it. We started with the C natural minor scale, deleted the 2nd and 6th tones, then added that slurred note to slide from the 4th to the 5th. This is the sound palette for jazz music. Jazz musicians just kind of took the traditional major scale and threw it in a blender, just to see what would come out. They deleted some tones here, added a tone there, and it ended up creating some unique and interesting chord combinations. So that was the first idea. The second is syncopation. Syncopation refers to a rhythmic quality, where accented notes are placed in unexpected places off the beat. It creates an effect of disturbance to the regular flow of rhythm and keeps things exciting and unpredictable. And unpredictability is a shining quality of jazz music that goes hand in hand with improvisation. Today's piece is loaded with syncopated rhythms, but I want to highlight the left-handed accompaniment which pops up repeatedly throughout the piece. Now the meter of this piece is a standard 4-4, so that tells us we have 4 beats in a measure. So we expect a 1-2-3-4-1-2-3-4 beat. So let's listen to the first couple bars, hands together. Now let's isolate the left hand, specifically listen for the placement of the second left-hand chord. The first chord arrives right on the first beat, which is normal, but the second one pops up after the second beat, on the second and a half beat. This is what really gives the piece a jazz flavor from the very opening bars. Let's listen to it one more time with the left hand on a loop, and I'll count for you. two three four one two and three four one two and three four so you can see how that second chord really pops because it's on the second and a half beat so to illustrate the difference I'm going to alter the first measures and play the left hand directly on the beat so here's what that sounds like one two three four one two three four two, three, four. So the chords here fall directly on the first, third, and fourth beats. So let's give that syncopated version one more listen. So hopefully you'll be able to appreciate these syncopated patterns now. This pattern is repeated several times throughout the piece in the left hand, and more examples can be found in the right hand as well. Try to pick them out as you listen. The final point I want to illustrate today is another rhythmic styling known as swing. This is a technique where the performer introduces a quasi-triplet rhythm to a string of notes. Instead of dividing them into notes of equal rhythmic weight, you give the first note of a pair about twice the weight as the second. So instead of having two notes worth one half each, you give the first note two-thirds of the value and the second one-third now this explanation is a little too mathematic and abstract so far so let's take advantage of our audio medium here and I'll show you what I mean with an excerpt from the piece here's a short passage with an example of swinging eighth notes Now, just like what I did with the syncopation part, I want to show you what it would sound like if I play this same exact passage straight, where every note holds the same equal weight. Not quite as fun, is it? Swinging eighth notes really give the piece a bouncy, playful feel that gives jazz music one of its signature sounds. So there we have it. Three concepts. Well, really four. Uh, Let's not completely forget about the importance of improvisation, even though it doesn't really directly apply here. But anyway, the three aspects of jazz we want to focus on this week. Number one, the blues scale. A scale that threw the traditional music into a blender. Number two, syncopation. Rhythms that play on the offbeat. And number three, Swing. Stealing weight from adjacent notes to give that bouncing vibe. So as we listen to this piece, try to keep these three factors in mind, so that the next time you're out and about, hear some jazz music, you can knowledgeably spark some musical conversation. And if you can't remember anything we talked about in this episode, try knocking back a few gin fizzes, and I'm sure everything will come right back to you. Here is the third movement of Glenda Austin's Jazz Suite Number 2. Well, we are about at the end of our musical journey through history. We have one last stop next week, and that will be a discussion on modernism. So hopefully you'll join me next week and we can wrap up this trip. As always, you can find the standalone recording of this piece discussed in the episode in the podcast feed. And if you'd like to reach out to me, find me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody or email me, at podcast at gmail.com. If you prefer, you could check out my SoundCloud page for a playlist of all music, no talk. Thanks very much for checking out the podcast. Please, please, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on whichever platform you are using to listen to this right now. Talk to you all next week.